Let's all stand for the reading of the Word of God. Got just a couple verses here, and then I'll let you be seated. Have you all enjoyed the worship experience so far today? Praise God. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in chapter 25. Verse 21 says this, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Husbands, don't expect your wife to carry all the spiritual water in the house. When your house is under attack, don't expect them to work it out because they're the more emotional one. You better take hold of the horns of the altar and do your job. Wives, look at your husband and say, do your job. I'm trying my best. You let me do my job, I do a better job. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And what this means is in her current state, there was no legacy coming. She was in a place of barrenness. She was in a place where it felt like nothing could ever be produced from this point. And I I believe that somebody came today that feels that exact way. I have been in the presence of God. I've been connected to God. I've been in small groups. I've been in Bible studies. I grew up under the pew dodging bobby pins in the Pentecostal church. But you may feel spiritually like you're producing nothing. And I want you to know, Jesus knows what's going on in your story today. Don't put your Bibles down, but let's lift our hearts. Father, be with us in this moment right now. We open our hearts, our minds to receive your word. Come alive in us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Y'all going to preach with me? Okay, then you can be seated. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to be drifting through chapter 25, 26, and verse and chapter 28 today. But while you're getting settled and ready to receive the word, I just want to give a shout-out greeting to all of our family in Kenya. We love you, Buena Asafiwe. God bless you in Nairobi and Yandarua County and all the other counties that are in central Kenya where we have churches. Y'all, as of today, we have nine different churches that are a part of the NOLA family in Kenya. And I talked to Pastor John this week. There are two more getting started because of the attack of the religious zealots that are in the area that are going around killing Christians. They've decided to just go ahead and open up two more churches. I love that kind of faith. Amen. Praise God. So I'm excited about that. I also want to give a greeting to all of our family in Australia. We love you, Ashley, and all the people that connect with you. And I don't know if you can see this, Chaplain Stephen Pate who is over there defending our, our freedom and doing what military people do. We love you, all the people on the ships out in the, in the area where you are. We love you. God bless you. God's hand of protection be on you. Julia Pate, his wife, is in Jacksonville, and she's in the military as well. We're praying for you. All the other people far and wide, we love you. God bless you. Glad you're a part of the family. Amen. Whew, that was a mouthful. I love being a part of a church that is on the move. If this is your first time here, if you have not tracked with us in this series, we are in a series that we have titled Calling. And my job in this series is to preach through the stories of six individuals that we see in the Old Testament who had very distinct callings from God on their life. And I want to show you how every week a little bit of this aspect of the calling on their life points to how God calls every believer. You have to know this. You are God called if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen? You may not know what the calling is. You may not understand the calling, but that doesn't mean that you have not been called. That's like if if you think the sky is purple, good for you. It's still blue, but good for you on your opinion. 
You may not understand that God is drawing. You, you may not understand that God is elevating you. But that does not mean that he is not doing that. Amen? So in this series, we've been preaching through the story of Abraham. Last Sunday was about Isaac, and this Sunday is about Jacob. And I, I thought about titling today Jacob, the man with two calls. But that would seem a little weird because that didn't fit with the rest, and that's a really long thing to try to put on social media. So I'm just going to title today Calling Jacob. Is that cool? Kind of sticking with the, the pattern. But here's the thing. Jacob had two distinct callings on his life. Everybody say two. No, say it like you're going to preach to me. Say two. All right, awesome. He had two distinct callings on his life. And we jump into the story today in, in Genesis chapter 25. And this is before Jacob is even on the scene. And what we see is that Isaac and, and, and Isaac's wife, Rebecca, were trying desperately to have children, not only because it, it, it was something that they wanted to celebrate, but primarily because the calling of God that was on Isaac's father, Abraham, is that he would be the father of many nations. So you have to imagine being the one who carries the promise into the next generation, but not being able to produce anything. Somebody hear me. You may feel the weight of your mom and dad. You may feel the weight of the patriarchs who went before you and then it rests on your shoulders and you're like, I don't know what to do from this point. I got a word for you today. Isaac prayed to the Lord. He didn't go to the psychobabble. He didn't go to the pop culture. He didn't go to everything that was around. He didn't go to politics. He didn't go to the government to try to fix his problem. He went to the one who designed him and to the one who called him and said, hey, we have no legacy. We need you to invade our situation. This is where we find Isaac and Rebecca. If you continue to read through, the Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. When you begin to seek the Lord, as you lean into the identity of who you are called to be, God will hear your prayer. If you focus yourself on your purpose, if you focus yourself on anything that is your agenda, God will hear you praying, but God is not going to respond to your prayer. Because you're not asking according to his will. This is what we learn in 1 John, that we need to ask according to his will. And when we ask according to his will, not only does he hear the prayer, he will answer the prayer as well. And this is what we see happening in Isaac's life. He begins to pray to God because he knows the promise is resting on him, but there is nothing happening that he can see in the natural. God hears the prayer and God begins to answer you continue to read on in this section and, and there's a struggle that begins to happen inside of Rebecca as she begins to carry the promise. Somebody hear me. Carrying the promise is not easy. Carrying the promise is not comfortable. We've already talked the last two weeks about calling will pull you constantly out of comfort. And I know that this slams directly into the face of cultural Christianity that wants us to fit in without making waves, wants us to just be good, wants us to have 17,000 homeschooled children, and we sit in our perfect little worlds where nothing goes wrong, everything's wonderful, we have our Jesus fish, our WWJD wristband, K-Love, Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. We think it's all wonderful. But my friend, that's not godly. 
That's not God's calling on your life. That's cultural Christianity. That's Christianity trying to fit into the world without impacting the world. But when you begin to step into the identity of who you are, everything about your life filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit will begin to radically change the world around you. If you don't know, I'm already feeling my preach. You go old school Israel Houghton to start the service off, friend of God. Then you end up with LaRue Howard. There's a war going on. And you, you're going to have some church. If you don't, your church is broke. Get a new one. Mm. Let's just stay there for a minute. That's just awesome. Amen. But carrying the promise is uncomfortable. Rebecca is carrying the promise. And there starts to be some upheaval. Now, I have never borne children. I know modern science says that that's possible. That's bogus. I've never born children. I don't intend on, I look like I'm carrying a child, but I don't. That's a food baby. Y'all relax. But as she carries the promise in her womb, conflict begins to take place. And she goes back to the source again. She doesn't go to what's around her. She doesn't go to the place of comfort. She goes to the one who put this in her. The one who answered the call. The one who answered the prayer. The one who is literally pulling them into a different place. And she says, why is this happening? The problem with modern Christianity is we are scared to death of God. We think he's like the old man with a white beard on the throne and the clouds on family guy. And he's mad at us. You're like, what's the family guy? Good answer. <laughs> That's not God. God cares about your situation. We're scared of God. We don't know God. We know about him. We've read a couple books. We've been to church service. We heard someone talk about him, but we've never been to that place of intimacy because we repented and we stopped there. And we wonder why we have no power in our life. She went to the one who knew her best and said, what is happening here? Boldly, she went to his throne room and said, there is a problem with the promise. There's conflict happening. God speaks to her. He says, hey, here's what's happening. There are two nations in your womb. She looks at Isaac like, what did you do to me? And they are struggling. And God gives a promise. He gives a very distinct promise. And you can see this promise there at the end of uh, verse 23. said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from within you. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Here's the thing you have to understand. The promise does not come according to your logic. The promise does not come according to your culture and your tradition and your denomination and your doctrine and your understanding it does not come in the thing that you would expect to happen the promise always comes through the lens of the one who gave the promise and he says I'm going to do something in you and through you that is going to completely change everything that has been done up to this point she gave birth to two children the first one she named Esau and then if you skip down to verse 26 Speaking of Esau, when his brother came out with his hand clutching Esau's heel, they named him Jacob. Into verse 26, when his brother came out with his hand clutching Esau's heel, they named him Jacob. 
Now, if you've grown up in church, how many of y'all grew up in some sort of church background? Okay, cool. That's awesome. We got to get more first-generation believers in here. All us sanctified, saved folks, we need to make room for some more lost folks. Amen? If we ever get to the point where we don't have the stench of sin in this church, we're going to need to shut it down and start over and do something else. But because 99.999% of you raised your hand, you got some sort of background, I'm going to come at you real quick. Because if you've learned anything in Sunday school or in Bible school or in small group or in home group or in cell group, if you grew up in the 80s, putting you in prison and everybody's home, that's just weird sounding, but whatever. If you grew up going to any dynamic like that, you've heard the name Jacob, and it's been attached probably to the definition of that means usurper. That means something negative. He was a conniver. Look at him. He's hanging on Esau on the way out. And we use this to attack Jacob, but here's the deal. Historically, that's not even accurate. The name Jacob is actually a very positive name to give to a child. It's actually a military verb. It's not even someone's actual name. Miss Ashley's here. She's an English teacher. I'm, I'm going to get all Englishy, okay? Is that cool? I don't know English because I went to Christian school. I can spell Deuteronomy, but sentence structure makes no sense. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. The name Jacob is not a noun. The name Jacob is actually a verb tied to military campaigns. Because this literally references the rear guard the one who would dog at the heels of the enemy, scaring the enemy away. This is what God said about Jacob before Jacob was ever born. Okay? Y'all with me? Okay, reach into your Bible and turn over to page 61. I'm kidding. If you were to dig into chapter 27, I'm not going to have you turn there. Just kind of rest here for a second. Jacob gets into various scuffles with his brother Esau. And the Bible says that Esau literally disregarded his birthright. He was the oldest, which meant everything was transitioning and transferring to him. But he, he, he abandoned his birthright, choosing instead to find a place of comfort. Now, Jacob does some things that are not godly. He gets really, really conniving. And he kind of tricks his brother out of his birthright. And then later on in life, it's time for Isaac to go on to the next life. And he brings his sons in and he's going to bless them. And the tradition is he would place the patriarchal blessing on the oldest child. You see, something happened between the time of Esau and Jacob's birth and the time of Isaac's death. He forgot what God had already said about the conflict of the promise. And he gets to this place and he calls for Esau. Hey, I'm about to die, but I'm going to bless you before I die. I'm going to give you everything that I am. And if you know anything about the story, if you don't, here real quick, just read through chapter 27 and you'll, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But Esau comes up with this deal with his dad. I'm, I'm going to go kill an animal. I'm going to make you your favorite meal. I'm going to come in. You're going to bless me. You're going to die. I'm going to get everything. I'm going to do things right. It's going to be done my way. It's going to be awesome. Rebecca, here's what's happening, and Rebecca is always referenced as negative and conniving in this story. But I want to submit to you, that is not at all what happened. This is not at all what happened. She is not conniving. She is hanging on to the promise that she carried in her womb for nine months. Husbands, hear me. Don't you ever dare look down your nose at your wife and act like she's less than you because you're male. 
God may speak the vision of your family to you because of spiritual authority, but when he speaks it to you, you have a responsibility to turn around and speak it to your wife so she can hold it and nurture it in the gestation womb so that it will be developed. The vision won't happen unless the husband and the wife are on the same page. Guys, you're awesome, but ladies, we can't do it without you. For far too long, religion has marginalized women and made them lesser. It's bogus. It's bullcrap. We're not even going to lean into that. Women can be anointed. Women can be powerful. And I know that they are and they will continue to be. Guys are scared because women can get to the throne before we do. And we get distracted easily. We see something shiny. All it takes is somebody to put a big old meal of hot, good food in front of us. They're like, I forgot everything. Rebecca was not lying. Rebecca was not taking advantage. She was not conniving. She was hanging on to a promise that she had received that went through her womb in a place of conflict. And she said, I will not let go of the promise. Jacob, we got to do something. Your dad has lost his ever-loving mind. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap your arms up in some fur. You're a better cook than Esau all day long. I'm going to go get a really good lamb that has just been tenderized from life. It's like a Wagyu lamb, if that's even a thing. And we're going to make this, we're going to do this stew up right. Covers Jacob. He goes in there and he presents himself to his father. And his father's blind, can't see anything. Maybe he's blind because he forgot the vision. I don't know. Just read into that however you want to. You sound like Jacob, but you, you feel like Esau. I'm confused. I'm an old man. I'm confused. I've lost sight of the vision. I've forgotten everything that God spoke to me, and I'm almost done. It's time for me to take a rest. I don't have to hang on to the promise. I can do it my way. And in this process, Jacob ends up receiving the blessing of the elder brother. Esau comes in, and he's ticked off, as you can imagine. You see, Esau had also forgotten that God said the elder is going to serve the younger. But God never forgets a promise that he gives, even if we lose sight of the vision he gave. And in the story, Esau is hurt. He is brokenhearted, and he tells his, he tells his dad, yeah, he's got the right name. And in this moment, you got to hear this, in this moment, Esau completely changes the meaning of Jacob's name. The first time the name Jacob is used in the story, it means one who guards the rear, the rear guard, the one who dogs the heel of the enemy. That's what it means. It's a militaristic verb. It's a very positive thing. But when Esau restates the name, he turns the meaning to something negative, and he identifies Jacob as liar, conniver, usurper, thief, Isn't it interesting how the enemy will always identify us? We live in a world today that struggles with identity. People are self-identifying with all these things, and we wonder why there is so much confusion and heartache and hurt in the world. By the way, this is not hate speech. This is love speech. When we try to find our identity through actions, our desires, our proclivities that are in us, We are separating ourselves from the identity of the one who created us in his own likeness and in his own image. God is the one who identifies us, not ourselves. The problem in the world is we identify ourselves. And the enemy comes along and says, oh, you like to drink? You're an alcoholic. You're an addict. 
You are weak. You are broken. You'll never measure up. You're less than. You're. And Jesus said, oh, you like to drink? I love you. And the church says, oh, you look different from me. And God says, I made you different on purpose. And the church says, oh, you need to stop doing that. And God says, church, hush. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the church says, let me put a burden on you. And God's like, no, let me take a burden off of you. Because I'm the burden bearer, not you. Somebody needs to hear me. You need to let Jesus Christ identify you because he's the one who created you. Like, Pastor, you're preaching a low standard. No, I'm not. I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is for whosoever will. Last I checked, he doesn't need anyone to clean their life up to come to grace. Not even in the notes. So, But Esau changes the name of, of Jacob. Now we're starting to get into the, the meat of the story. Rebecca says, Jake, you got to go. Esau's going to kill you. So what I want you to do is I want you to go back to my family. When you get back over to my family, I want you to find a wife and I want you to continue on the legacy that God put into my womb. She's not running from calling. She's trying to realign the mistakes that the patriarch made because he lost sight of the vision. Jacob starts out on his journey and we jump into the middle of chapter 28 on, on verse 10. And it's going to be verse 11 on the screen, but I'll just kind of set you up here. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and set out to Haran. Verse 11, he reached a certain place. Everybody say a certain place. Anytime you see that phrase in the Bible, a certain place, you'll see it both Old and New Testament. God is trying to bring distinction to this place because something significant is going to happen here. This is what we see. Jacob reached a certain place where he decided to camp because the sun had gone down. He found a place of rest in the middle of his journey. Hmm. Your church is a 24-hour, 365-day-a-year prayer room so that you can find a place to rest on your journey. This is a certain place. It's a place of designation. It is a place of distinction. It is a place that God has chosen to do dynamic things. And there is value in going to the certain place. He took one of the stones, not the rolling stones, one of the rocks on the ground. Y'all don't even know who the rolling stones are. Y'all didn't even like that joke. That was a good joke. David, I hadn't seen you in a month, but that was a good joke. Y'all get moved into the new house? I'm coming over for dinner. Everybody's coming with me. Y'all cook good. Anyway, he took one of the stones... <laughs> He took one of the stones and placed it near his head. Then he fell asleep in that place. Where did he fall asleep? In the place of rest, that certain place, that place of distinction. That place had been set apart for a purpose in the middle of the journey. Placed it near his head. He fell asleep in that place and he had a dream. God never speaks to me. When's the last time you rested? When's the last time you shut your brain off? When's the last time you shut your mouth? You're here. I need you here. <laughs> I wonder if God's like, ah, and like trying to get a word in. <laughs> you ever have a conversation with that person like, 
and, and you're like, <laughs> like they know all the words, and they're going to get them all out right now. And you're like, and then you finally get it. They take a breath, and you finally get a chance to say something. What you say is like referencing a part of the conversation that happened an hour ago, and they're like, it's your fault. He fell asleep in the place of distinction, in the place of rest. He fell asleep and then had a dream. Notice this. He saw a stairway erected on the earth with its top reaching into the heavenlies. The angels of God were going up and coming down on it, and and the Lord stood at its top. And he said, who said? God said, I am the Lord. Not just, that's who I am. No, that phrase, I am, becomes extremely distinct when we get into the story of Moses. I am. In other words, there has been no other but me. Because I am the all and all. I am the almighty. I'm the first. I am the last. I am everything. I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. Notice what happens here. I will give you and your descendants the ground you are lying on. God had made a distinction in Jacob's life before he was ever born. And God had prepared things for Jacob to do before his mother was even able to conceive. God planned something for Jacob. Now, don't get all jacked up into predestination mess. But go to Ephesians chapter 2 where the Bible says, before he said, let there be, there were good things that he created for you to do. Why am I here to do the things that God designed for you to do before he ever created this world for you to do it in? Why is the world here for you to do good things for God? I don't fit in this world. Yes, you do, because the world was created for you to do things for God. All right, getting ahead of myself into the next part of the series. God comes back to him and reiterates the promise that he gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and then reiterated a few times over the next subsequent chapters. And then the same promise that God gave to Isaac, the promise is continuing, the call is continuing. Because remember, the calling is not to a job. A calling is not to an action. The calling is to an identity. The problem is we say our calling is what we do. And God says, stop doing, start resting, and then I will show you who you're supposed to be. My friend, that is the call. And here in this moment, Jacob receives the call into a relationship that was designed before he was ever conceived. I made this promise to your grandfather. I made this promise to your dad. And I will, everybody say, I will. I will will give you and your descendants the ground you're lying on. You are in the promised land. I'm going to give this to you, just not yet, because you're not ready. Why learn about calling? Because you have to know who God wants you to be. But don't Jump into it too quick because you're not ready for the responsibility. That's why you have apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers to equip you 
This is why you need next steps. By the way, you want to go to next steps today. You want to get connected to God's vision for this church and God's vision for your life? Go to Next Steps today. It's not just a class with cool food. That's not what it's about. It's not just get a chance to hang out with Jonathan, which by itself is awesome. But that's not why we do it. We do this because you need to know what that next step on the journey is. You need to get involved in what God has designed you to be. This is why we do small groups, not to take up time in your life, but so you could get surrounded by other believers who might be stronger than you or possibly even weaker than you so you can link arms and walk through the journey of life with somebody else because there are going to be moments where you fall down. You can't get up on your own. You need me and I need you. We've got to be in this together. We're all a part of God's body. We cannot do it alone. We do these things so that we can live this out. I'm going to give you this ground, but you're not ready for it yet. It's not time yet. Somebody hear me. You're trying to jump into something. You're trying to jump into a designation out of God's timing. You're not ready. You've got to be developed. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, the east, the north, and the south, and all the families of the earth may receive blessing through you and through your descendants. Notice verse 15. This, this is killer. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. God says this, I am with you. It doesn't matter if God says anything else after this point. God says a few things. But it does not matter what comes out of the mouth of God after this moment because God said, yo, Jake, I'm with you. I will protect you wherever you go. You're not ready for this yet. This is what I'm going to give you. You're not ready yet. But I'm going to bring you back to this place. Calling. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to draw you to this place. What is the place? The certain place. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Somebody hear me. Ask yourself this question. Has God completed what he promised he would complete in you? Then until has not happened yet. Stop acting like he abandoned you. Until isn't here yet. He's still doing it. What do I do? Stay in rest. I don't like that. Chill. The reason we don't like it is we like our actions. We like our accomplishments. We like what we know. We like what we have. We love us some pride. But rest isn't about us. Rest is about the God of all gods bringing us into his presence, bringing us into who he is, bringing us into his plan. Almost done here. Verse 16, then Jacob woke up and thought, surely the Lord is in this place. Duh. But I didn't realize it. How many times have we been in the presence of the Almighty and did not realize it? He was afraid, just like a lot of us. And he said, 
awesome place this is. This is nothing else than the house of God. And I love this. This is the gate of heaven. What is the gate of heaven? Well, that's where St. Peter stands up there with a list of bad people and good people, tells the bad people to go to hell, tells the good people to come on in, gives them wings and a harp and says, y'all go have fun. (laughs) That's not the gate of heaven. It's not. The gate of heaven is that place that has been carved out of the journey where you can stop striving. Verse of the day on you version, if you do that, was God saying, hey, y'all, stop striving. I got this. That's, my, that's the Monty translation. Chill, fool, I got this. That's how he says it in my translation. Stop striving. Rest. When you go to the place of rest where you don't have to do anything, you just simply have to be in his presence and you're laying your head in his presence and you're resting right there at his feet. That, my friend, is the gate into the realm of God. Early in the morning, you got to notice what happens. What happens when I see the gate of God? That's really cool. Here's what, verse 18, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed near his head and he set it up as a sacred stone. Then he poured oil on top of it. Why? Because he was inviting the breath of God. He was inviting in Hebrew the Ruach. In in Greek, it would be the Pneuma. In Southeast Louisiana, the Holy Ghost. I speak three languages. There you go. Holy Ghost. He took the oil and poured it over the stone to dedicate the stone in the certain place on the journey. He built an altar in the resting place and anointed and said I'm coming back here this is Bethel Bethel the house of God here's what's really interesting this is not even the story that we're going to today but later in his life he comes back to this place and has another encounter with God and he changes the name of the place from Bethel which is house of God to El Bethel which means the God of the house of God Don't just go to the altar once and say, I'm done. God's finished. No, God's not done. Keep coming back to rest. Keep coming back to that sacred place, to that certain place on the journey. Get to that place where you can just lay down your tools, lay down your work stuff, take off your shoes, put on your house shoes. Anybody got house? Yeah, I know you do. I've seen you at the mall. You got house shoes? I got some big old fuzzy house shoes. Not yet, but they coming in Jesus' name. I'm going to preach in them one day. If you can shop in them, I can preach in them. You got to put on your house shoes. Put on, put on your flannel pajama pants. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're just kicking back and you got your recliner. Or you got two chairs. You're sitting in one. You got your feet on the other. If you've been through Adi, that's probably exactly what you have. Or the cardboard boxes, your ottoman, whatever. You're just relaxing. That's what you have to do. To find the gate of heaven. And if you do this, God will meet you there. You got to keep coming back. Drop down to verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow. 
He realizes that this is a place that God has distinguished out and he makes a vow to the Almighty. There's a lot in the vow. Go back and read it. Drop down to verse 22. He makes the vow and he says this, if God is with me, then this stone that I have set up as a sacred stone will be the house of God. And I will surely give back a tenth of everything you give me. He makes a vow, dedicates the space to God, and says, I will honor you first in every part of my life. Y'all relax, I'm not preaching about tithing today. But that's where it starts. This is not going to be on the screen. I just want you to hear me. Verse 32. If you're taking notes, write down 32. I'm going to read that later. Don't read it right now. I want you to hear me. Jacob continues through his life. After this encounter with God. And he goes through a lot of stuff. Remember, don't give up simply because God is not done. God said, I will not leave you until I'm done. There were some things that made him think God was done, but God had not completed the work. So God was not done. God had not left him. And life began to happen. And all sorts of upheaval happens in Jacob's life to the point that he has to leave the place that he is on his way to. And he's on his way back to the Wherever He's just kind of out wandering, trying to get away from his father-in-law and, and his, his wife's family because all kinds of junk has happened. And he gets word from one of his servants that his brother Esau is coming with 400 men. Okay, I don't know about y'all, but if anyone ever tells me that somebody that I have taken advantage of is coming at me with a posse, I get nervous. Right? If you don't, maybe you got something I don't have. But I'm, I'm like, he's big, he's hairy, he's red, and he's bringing all his people with him. And Jacob finds himself in a low point. Hear me. I know this is at the end of the sermon and your stomach's growling. That's kind of why I'm dragging out. I'm going to see if I can hear it from up here. But. He's at a low point. Don't think just because you hit a low point in that journey where God is calling you to him that God's done. He's not. It's just a low point. And he's going to prove something to you in the midst of this low point. Jacob separates himself from his family. There are moments where you need to go to a place of solitude. Do not go to a place of isolation. Somebody hear me. Isolation kills you. Solitude builds you. How do you know it's, what's the difference? Solitude is when you shut up and let God talk. Isolation is when you tell God and everybody else to shut up and you begin to do all the talking. Takes his wife, puts them on the other side. And he crosses the brook Jabbok. And he, the Bible tells us he's left all his possessions. Everything he has is on the other side of the water. And it's just him. And in the middle of the night, some dude shows up and calls him out. So Jacob was left alone. I love how the Bible puts this. 
Then a man wrestled with him. Like, wait, what, what happened in between? How did the man get there? Did the man walk up? Did he suddenly appear? Was he wearing a Hulk Hogan mask? Like, what was going on here? Hey, brother, I want to fight with you. You know, I don't know what was going on. Then a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Then the man saw, hear this. The man saw that he could not defeat Jacob. Anybody ever been so desperate? For God to do something in your story, it did not matter who came, including God, you weren't letting go. The man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, so he strikes the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated, and from this moment, Jacob walked like a pimp because he was fly. Jacob had a strut. Y'all, what up? That's not what it says. <laughs> he strikes the socket of his hip, jacks up his walk from this point on. A change happened when he refused to give up in the struggle. Some of you walk away when it gets tense. And he says, hang on. I'm wrestling with you on purpose. Stop walking away. I'm not leaving. I ain't done. Where are you going? Are you willing to get desperate and hang on? Because I can't change you until your desperation overflows. Somebody hear me. The calling is not a position. It's not a title. He's inviting you into a wrestling match of identity against identity. And his identity is going to change you. Then the man said, let me go. The dawn is breaking. Jacob says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Not give me stuff. I'm not letting you go until you approve me. The man asked, as if he didn't already know, what's your name? Very important. Very, very important. What's your name? I can almost see the defeat in Jacob's life. <sighs> Jacob. In this moment, it's, it's, it's so cool. I never noticed this until getting preachers say that kind of stuff all the time. But I'm, I'm telling you for true. I never noticed this until I was getting ready for this sermon. It's different here than it was when Isaac and Rebecca named him. They named him in military action, a positive name. His brother Esau changed his name to something negative. But when Jacob says his name to the man he was wrestling with, he doesn't say, I'm the one who dogs the heels of the enemy. He said, I'm a liar. I'm a usurper. I'm a conniver. Jacob identified himself with something that someone else put on him. Verse 28, no longer will your name be liar, usurper, conniver, the man told him, but Israel. Why Israel? Because you have fought with God and men and have prevailed. 
The name Israel means God fights. Jacob was so desperate, he refused to let go when he was in the tussle with God. And the reason he refused to let go is because he was so desperate for a move of God in his life. And he remembered what happened at the gate of heaven, what God said to him. And he said, I'm not letting go. It's not done yet. And God said, I fight for you. I will not identify you by anything you've done. I only identify you for what I am doing for you right now. I fight for you. Your name's not Jacob. Your name is I fight. You need to realize this as a child of God. When you begin that journey into your calling, God identifies you by himself. You need to look in the mirror of your anxiety. You need to look in the mirror of your depression. You need to look in the mirror of whatever identification has been slapped on you. And you need to say, shut up and stop calling me that. My name is God fights for me. God fights for me. Notice what happens. Then Jacob says, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? The man says. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the the place Peniel, explaining, certainly I have seen God face to face, and I have survived. Hear me. Hear me. God has a calling on your life. Doesn't need you to do anything. He just wants you to stop on the journey and take a break. Just rest. And in this rest, he's going to prove to you who he is. And if you are unwilling to let go in the process, he will change everything about you, the way that you walk, Everything will be radically altered from that point on. But he will show you his face. Why? What is the point of that? The face of God is the glory of God. When the glory of God shines on you, everything about you begins to radiate. God does not need you to do any actions. He just wants to do his action through you. That's why he's calling you. This good? Here's what I want you to do. Every every eye closed, every head bowed. Nobody leaving. Stay right where you are. The worship team is coming to get in place. I'm going to dismiss you here in a second. But I want someone to hear me right here in this, the end of this worship experience. God has invited you into the house of the Lord today. Nobody looking around, every eye closed. God has invited you into the house of the Lord today. He has designated this place as a place where he is going to give you vision. Maybe for the first time, he's beginning the call in your life. Maybe it's a reiterated call. Maybe he's already called you, but he's got to take you to that Brook Javik so he can call you again. I, I don't know what your circumstance is, but I do know this. God is not finished with you because you are still here and you are still breathing. God is not finished. You may feel like you've poured everything out. There's nothing else to give, but let me just tell you, hear my voice this morning. God is not finished with you and he is not done with you. 
And he wants to do something through you that does not even require you. He wants you to rest while he's doing it so he can show you his glory. Right where you are, not, no one looking. Let's just invite the house of God into this certain place. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising your name. Blessed are those whose strength has been found, whose hope. 